Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Trip. Then Stuart is with us today. Rob, this is a guy from your area, the D.C. area. D.C. Yeah. Ben is the pastor of Passion City Church in the Washington, D.C., not to be confused with Passion City Church in Atlanta, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. He is uh, the wife, or the husband of the wife. I'm tearing this up already. He is the <laughs> husband of Donna. They have three kids, and we're going to talk also about what he did down in Texas A&M and uh, with Breakaway Ministries. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's good to be with you guys. I, I've already butchered the show. We can start all over with that. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's typically uh, so, No, we're good. We're good. Hey, I want to know this, though. I saw on Instagram that you have some connection with the boys from Dude Perfect. What's that story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we go way back, man. Well, you know, they're all from A&M. So, uh, you know, I was uh, led a ministry on the campus A&M for 12 years and so saw them come through. But then the the twins, the Cotton Boys, were in. Um, my wife was a part of the staff of a church in the Woodlands mm-hmm. when they were middle school kids. So I met them when they were in middle school. So we go way way back and I family agree. friends and just watching those guys. I mean, their heart is everything you would wish was true of their heart is true of their heart. They're Let's just really here. special young men, the easiest people to cheer for in the world because they're just good, good man so i'm i'm i love those guys That's now cool. I, I love have a love-hate relationship with dude perfect one i love their okay. videos uh-huh. two what i hate about it is my boys want to always emulate it so they're throwing a ball from somewhere <laughs> at something at all times like mm. hey, if we go on the roof and bounce it off your car and it goes in what does it count yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. so they're inspiring and i love their character their influence yeah. on the things that happen in my house sometimes are a little bit different. So. Controversial, controversial. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, as, as we kind of talked before the show, a young man named Luke Lazone kind of uh, brought your name up on a show we did earlier in season two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he talked about Breakaway at Texas A&M. And I remember him distinctly saying he shows up at Texas A&M. He hears about this college ministry. It's in the, the gymnasium, if I'm not mistaken, and just packed with people. Tell us that story. How did Breakaway get started? Yeah, you know, it actually, it started in 1989. Uh, I wasn't there. I was a kid uh, in 89, but it was um, a handful of sophomores just wanted to know God. They didn't have some big vision or grand purpose. They just like, we want to know God and we do this little Bible study in their apartment and did it their whole college career. And um, Greg Mott, who's now the pastor of Houston's first had a decision to make when he graduated. Do I just go on and get a job or do I stick with this thing and grow it? So Greg grew it. Uh, when I went, uh, in college, it was exploding. It was like a thousand college kids, which was nuts. And then when it moved on to campus and the center of campus and the basketball arena, it went crazy. And it was, you know, not uncommon to have 10,000 plus people gathering and it's still going strong. I mean, I handed it off to Timothy Atik, who's crushing and, you know, there's some uniqueness with Texas A&M that allows for that kind of gathering, but it's just a move of God. You just stand there in the middle of this arena and go, Lord, this is amazing because this is a state school. People vote with their feet. They don't have to be there. They can come if they want. And here they are hungry to know God and, I loved it, loved doing it, man, for, and, and 
really had to sense a strong calling from the Lord to leave it because it's it's pretty special to be in college ministry, man. Yeah. I think one of the cool things about stuff like that, it, you know, all of us in this church world, church growth kind of mindset movement, we're always looking, seeking, asking, praying, wanting, desiring a way to help boost, grow our local churches, congregations, or whatever, ministries, programs. And so we see things like breakaway and we wonder what what formula they used or what what pattern they use. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think literally in my experience, every conversation I've had with a leader that's a part of something like a breakaway, another megachurch, Passion City, whoever you want to name, almost all of them come back and say, well, there was no program. There was yeah. no strategy. There was, there was obedience. There was prayer. There was faith. There was a lot of sweat and tears. There were a lot of mistakes. Uh, and, and God was just faithful. And through that faithfulness, he kind of, you know, uh, educated and gave us wisdom on how to do the next things. And so uh, would you echo that's the same sentiment for breakaway? Yeah, man. I mean, you look at, you know, to get biblical fast on you, you know, but you look at the book of Acts, like Peter gives a great sermon, 3000 people come to faith. Stephen gives, Hey man, it, it read like as good a sermon and they kill him at the end. And you're like, all right, like both of these guys were faithful. Both of these guys, the spirit of the Lord was upon them. Sometimes they celebrate you, sometimes they stone you. There's just elements you don't get to control. Right. And I feel that all the time of like, oh man, God, I would way rather be on the like celebrate me side. Like, can we make sure it works? You know, like I just got through reading all the prophets, my journey through the Bible. And I'm like every devotional time was like, Lord, I don't want to be Jeremiah. Like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. You know, where God tells him like, hey, <laughs> you're going to have some great illustrations. It's beautiful. And they're going to like throw you in a hole in the ground. You're like, oh man, like, you know, it's like had nothing to do. Like, that's the era I put you in. That's the ground I asked you to till. Will you do it? And um, so yes, healthy things grow and you should see ministries grow, but we don't get to control sometimes where we fit in the story. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's just good that it's, but it's awesome. We get to be in it. You know? And we get, we got to reframe our definition of what growth actually is because it's, it can be numerical. And certainly a lot of times we wish it is numerical, right? I mean, that's, that's a given. Um, but, but growth is, is so much more than just a numerical increase, mm -hmm. right? We, there's, yeah. there's all kinds of growth and we're certainly not going to have time to get in that conversation today. But I was just curious for you because I think across college campuses, even on Christian college campuses, we're, we're even now looking for ways. How do we increase the spiritual engagement of our students on a Christian campus? Like what are yeah. the things that we need to be doing or paying attention to? What are the conversations that are being had by the students that are indicators or keys for us to clue into what God is doing or what God is saying? And how do we step into that? And so, you know, you hear great things about ministries like Breakaway that are still just thriving since 1989, right? I mean, still yeah. pushing the envelope. People get curious. And, and I, think, I think it's a great way. It's a great conversation to have, especially in the college ministry world, for us to actually uh, look at those factors that are in place in, in order for the heart, for the toil, for the soil uh, to be in the right condition or whatever. So, no, I, I, I appreciate, appreciate your thoughts on that. I, I think the echo, and Ben, you can step in here, that the passion movement was very similar. Like yeah. Louis, Louis and Shelly heard from God. They were faithful. But I remember, this is showing my age a little bit, we were here as undergraduates at Lee University, and the the brochure, the printed out, like fill in the little boxes to go to passion. Like it was, 
and I don't even know how it got here. Like it was one of those yeah. things like it was taking place in Texas. I don't know how it got here, but it was a move of God that, that sometimes there isn't a formula to. So what's interesting about your story is you go from something incredible at Breakaway at Texas A&M to a, a different unique movement, Passion, which has a similar heart for young adults. Yeah. How did yeah. that connection get made? Yeah, well, you know, um, people used to ask me for years, they're like, Breakaway, yeah, didn't Louis start that? I'm like, no, no, he didn't start it. <laughs> but uh, was he an inspiration, what he was doing down the road at Baylor? Yeah, so Greg and Louis knew each other. When I took over as director of Breakaway, uh, Louis immediately started asking me to get involved with Passion Conferences. So I would, I would help periodically. I'd see Louis a couple times a year. So we just had a relationship for a long time. Yeah. And it was um, actually the day my daughter was born. Um, she was born later that day. Earlier that day, I was at lunch with Louis and uh, in College Station, and he kind of first presented this vision of I want to see Passion City churches in multiple cities. And he was just speaking that out. And I was like, wow, man, well, all the best. Great. Hope it goes good. You know, I was like, <laughs> I'm happy doing what I'm doing, you know? And, uh, but it wasn't until years later that he was like, Hey, I want you to, to step in and do this. And, you know, then all the questions come out of what does that look like and how does that work? And, right. uh, you know, Louis is such an amazing visionary. You know, he's like, we're going to Mars. Like, how do you get there? He's like, man, that's, uh, you know, I, that's not really, I haven't thought through all those steps yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he believes in a big God and a big vision. And I'm like, all right, man, well, let's think about it together. And, you know, long story, really short, we decided to go for it. And, um, but it, the reason we could launch in that venture together is because we had a decade of trust to build. You know, sometimes when I move into new towns, you'll, you know, you meet other ministers and they're like, hey, we should put on a big prayer rally. Hey, we should put on. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, let's not build, do an event yet. Let's build a relationship first. Right. You know, like, let's be truly friends. And when we're truly friends, then we'll find a way to do an event together or something. But uh, Louie and I got to got to build that friendship for a long time. So let's let's deviate for the first time on the show here. And let's talk about church <laughs> planting just a little bit. OK, um, sure. Okay, so I wasn't sure if this is the place I was going to geek out on multi-sites or not, because I'm a multi-site geek. <laughs> I, I, came, I came from the Saddleback world, and you know I was on staff oh. there for several years. I love the multi-site paradigms. But yeah. um, so let's let's talk about church planning a little bit, because you yeah. you mentioned something I think is quite significant. Churches have become largely event-based, which you probably know. We have three or four high peaks in the year: Easter, Christmas. Mother's Day, fall launch, kind of are the four big peaks that we do yeah. our big events every year, right? And you know, a couple of things in between. So uh, a lot of churches, big, small, mega, mini, doesn't matter. They, they base their, their calendar on events, not on relationships. Mm -hmm. So off the cuff, if you were planning a church today as, an, as a new pastor, not connected yeah. to Passion City or something else, got to put in your heart to go to a city, uh, and plant a church, what would be some of the first steps that you would take before you ever did an event? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what we did, and I'll just tell you the things we did that worked. I'll skip all the stuff we, we did that didn't work, but, you know, um, Louie said something to me when I was in Atlanta 
that was really interesting because you know when they launched the church thousands showed up day one right and he he just said at one moment man ben it took a long time to find the church in the event you know there were people that were just kind of showing up yeah you know jesus said at one point he's like y'all are just here because you're waiting for free bread you know jesus said it to a crowd once where he's like y'all yeah. actually want to follow me you're just hoping i'll like make some wine or something and uh, lou was like it took a while to figure out who our people were because so many were coming and when he said that, I was like, all right, man, I'm not starting with a big event. I'm not starting with like, let's get Crowder in here and blow this up. So when we moved to town, it was building a core group of relationships, people we had high trust with. So we moved to town with about 30 people. And then we just sent out some email invites. I mean, we purposely stayed off social media right. to an, uh, what we called vision nights. And we purposely, I mean, we scaled it down. It was like a little PA system, you know, a little mic tethered to the little uh, uh, stereo on a stick kind of deal. Yeah. And just said, hey, here's our heart for what a church is. Here's why we're here in town. And then we would just mingle and visit with people. And then the takeaway from that was community groups where no worship music, sit you around a table of about six people. I would get up front and read a chapter of the gospel of Mark and explain it. And we would all talk about it. So we had six months of that, of like, if you're coming for an event, there's no entertaining. It's the two things, you know, when John was trying to summarize Jesus, which is a crazy thing to think about even doing, but in the gospel of John, he just keeps coming around, man. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Like he really loves people and he really gave them information commensurate with reality. It right. gave them the perspective they need. And so when we started, we're like, let's just build this little community where we love each other sincerely and read the truth together. And when that group is filled with light and heat, you know, the fire, that light radiates out, that heat radiates out. And that's what we'll do. So when we launched big events, because we did bring Crowder out eventually, we did start to do that. Now we had a church to invite them to. Right. You know what I'm right. We had a community already in progress. Yeah, that's good. One of the one of the models that that I've been around is the arc model, which has some similar aspects to it. You start sort of with yeah. that core group, and um, they are they're unapologetically attractional. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. one of their models and their way they go about it. But it's also the the dig deep in the small group and the core group, and so. Yeah. Um, but you you obviously had this framework of college ministry. Um, which, which is a mobilizing ministry. If there's yeah. ever a group of, of people that you can mobilize, and I've said this often that the college ministry, college students have more time and more expendable money than they ever know. And we just get to tell them that. So, like, so how did you make the transition from pastor of college kids to sort of this church planting, um, operation with passion? Yeah. Um, you mean like timeline or like, well, like, like the shift in the shift in the way you pastor because they're not, <laughs> yeah, they're not the same. Yeah. I mean, there's some similarities, yeah. but they're not the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, man. You know, I, um, it was interesting for me cause we were an on-campus ministry. I wasn't a college pastor. So, you know, we did have the big attractional event. Students right. would come down, come to Christ and then I was like, let's plug you into the local church because we're, a, we called ourselves the big end of the funnel. Let's funnel you in the community. Right. 
And we felt really good about that. We're helping put students into churches all over this campus. That's actually pretty awesome. We'd have churches come and be set up out in the foyer and not. But, um, but what it did for me is I didn't really have to deal with a lot of their problems. You know, <laughs> like I would help you come to Christ and be like, okay, take your problems over there. Take your problem. And it's interesting being a pastor where you're like, oh, no, like yeah. you and all your baggage is here. And, and I'm not responsible for all of your life, but I am your pastor, which means right. – you know, when your husband passes away tragically, that's, I'm, I'm holding your hand. I'm walking with you, you know, and um, that, that pastoral role has a deeper intimacy, which is beautiful. You know, it's all this stuff starts leaping off the page of Paul when he's like, I can't stop thinking about y'all to the Thessalonians. I'm praying for you. I, mm-hmm. I'm like a mom giving birth to you. You know, he talks like that. You go, okay, I, I get where he's coming from but it means you carry people in a different way and right. uh, it can wear you out, you know, but in terms of like college kid to adults, I'll tell you, man, I, I moved to DC because a third of the city is between the ages of 20 and 35. Yeah. Hmm. I needed to be around that young energy. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. a lot of what I did and do in college ministry translates uh, up here. Cause I like that young educated motivated world like we're going someplace go 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 yeah. go let's do this and um, that's what led me to this crazy town that's cool uh, and i was going to kind of follow up question but you just touched on it slightly you know uh, part of the reason why we do the show is because we we want to have conversations about how to get college students engaged in the local church jeff and i are both local yeah. church guys mm-hmm. we, we love the local church it's that's our mm. bread and butter but i mean in terms of our passion but how have you been able to, in a church plant setting, and I know DC especially, right? I know Mark Batterson is there and he's done a great work with National and there are other really good churches in, in the Washington DC area. But how have you been able to sort of weave into your passion for young adults and really activate that crew, man? Like really go out there and say, hey, this is a place where you belong, get engaged in a local church, stuff like that. I mean, so what are some of the things that you've brought from maybe Breakway or Texas A&M or what are some of the values from Passion City that you've woven into that community that allow for young adults, especially college students, to step in, be activated, and be a part of what's happening? Yeah, no, it's great, man. It's a great question. And, you know, just side note on Batterson, we, you know, when I got into town, I did with a lot of guys. So you try to go meet with a lot of pastors right. and say, hey, I'm a friend, not a threat. We win when we all grow. And uh, like, like every pastor up here, he was so gracious and a great guy. And it's fun to see when churches get along. I think it yeah. pleases the heart of God, you know. But, um, you know, I saw it in college ministry because it's true of people. Everybody wants intimacy and impact. I mean, those really are the two great longings of the human heart. You know, like I want to be loved and known and I want to know. Like I want that intimacy, you know. And as ministers, we're letting them know, man, you're made for God. Colossians says that. We're made for right. him. And so you need to know about him. And then you also need to be known by him. You know, a big part of college for me was that being honest with myself and my own heart, where I was disappointed with God and struggling with God. And so fostering that sense of intimacy and belonging with the Lord and then with other people, there's such a longing for that. And then there's longing for impact. I want my life to make a difference. I want it to be worth something. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, you know, as ministers, we're all missionaries. You show up in a context and, you read the terrain, you're Nehemiah, you ride around town on the horse and go, okay, where's the wall busted up? And, you know, coming to DC, it was like, okay, 
everyone up here is here to make a difference. You packed up your little four-door car and drove up here with nothing but a dream because you thought when I get here, I'm going to change the world. And I love that energy. You want to have an impact. You may not be aimed the right direction, but it's, it's better to get a, a running horse moving. So, all right, let me appeal to that sense of impact and let you know that there's a bigger story playing out around you of what mm-hmm. God is doing with the universe. But then uh, the other thing about DC is you go, but you moved up here, meaning you don't live by your parents or your high school friends, your college friends. So we were ranked the second loneliest town in America, right behind uh, Vegas. So you have all these educated, motivated people go, 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 go. And then they go back to their apartment and they're lonely. And so they take it to alcohol and, you know, you go, okay, y'all need people and you're not as self-reliant as you thought. And so I'll adapt the language to talk about it specifically to a DC person, but you go, man, it just keeps rising up. Everybody wants intimacy and impact. I want to be a part of something and I want to be a part of something. And that's what we have. We have the most intimate, beautiful relationship they're made for. And we have the best story they could be a part of. And I think that is endlessly appealing because it's what the human soul is made for, you know? So, so you talk about the, the intimacy and impact um, and the self-reliant, highly motivated young adults that are there. Mm-hmm. What's been the response of that group in, in D.C.? I mean, you guys have done well. The church has grown. Have, have they gravitated towards it or are they still sort of pushing back and trying to find their, themselves? Yeah, I, you know, I thought... I was going to hit all this resistance up here from people. I had sort of like had my political arguments marshaled and mm-hmm. some of the like, Oh, people are going to really like your antiquated Bible sort of arguments. Like I was just expecting all this pushback and I have not really hit it the way I have tons of problems, but they're not the problems I thought. Like the problems I thought were coming did not come. The problems yeah. I never saw coming. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But <laughs> What was interesting is, you know, the spiritual hunger in the human soul is not solved by money or success. And you got these young, motivated people that are getting a taste of success, getting a taste of power, getting a taste of fame, and realizing it doesn't really work. You know, I was talking with a chaplain the other day of pro athletes, and he said, this is the easiest group to minister to because they have the thing everyone's chasing and realize it's not enough. He's like, I don't even have to sell them on that. He said, I just lead with, so how's that working for you? And then work to the gospel. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> because it doesn't work. And we know that. And, um, and you know, and college kids are like, well, but maybe it'll work for me. Because I'm yeah, the smartest yeah, kid yeah. in my high school. You know, but they get up here and they're like, man, life grinds that out of you. And you go, golly, I'm looking for answers. And they come in and it's funny up here. They're like, you guys are nice. You are kind. And there is the world is cold and the world is hard and then we have grace and truth you really love me and i mean i preach the bible down in texas but even more now like i put the text on a screen i'm like you see what that says do you understand i said so if you're mad be mad at god not me but i'm going to give you you know the bible's intriguing to people even if they don't believe it so we have people come up all the time like yeah i don't believe any of this but that's fascinating i want to come back i want to hear what else you really say about that like people are fascinated in the truth so, like I said, we're not real fancy, but it's, it's grace and truth, the fastball right over home plate, you know. That's cool. And I know in a place like D.C., it does not take long to get grinded. You know what I'm saying? I mean, 
Yeah. Uh, my experience here in the ministry time that I had in DC myself, I mean, it does not take long for, for young people to get broken because uh, you're right. I mean, they cut, you come there with so much anticipation of, of what you're going to do and, and you're in the seat of power and prestige and prominence. And, you know, there's so much happening in DC all the time yeah. and you go there and it, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, not everyone and, you know, not all things are bad and all that kind of stuff, but, but you can get grinded up quick in an environment like that. So it makes a lot of sense then that, that you guys are there and that they're being so receptive because you, you are a voice that's so alternative to what the norm is there. And I, I just think that's, um, that's yeah. really cool. So, um, so for you then, as you've, if you've kind of stepped in uh, to passion setting, you're now in this, this context, in this environment, you're incorporating young people into what you do and they're being activated, they're being trained, they're being, uh, you know, engaged. So yeah. for you, what are some of the biggest discipleship hurdles that you're encountering in terms of, of this generation that you're dealing with? And, uh, and, and how are you kind of overcoming those? Yeah, that's a great question, Rob. Discipleship hurdles with this young generation. It, it's, um, I would say the, the first two things that come to mind are one, and this is something I find myself telling a lot of my friends that are uh, in the South is, Biblical literacy is at an all-time low, so people don't know the stories you're talking about, haven't in a lot of times encountered them at all, so certainly don't believe them or understand why they're relevant to their life. So I'm realizing you're having to back mm -hmm. further and further up. You know, like I used to read, uh, you know, sermons by like Charles Spurgeon and you're like, these aren't helping me because he assumes a knowledge base of right, his audience. Yeah. And at that time, rightly so. My context has none of that. So I'm like, you've got to back way up in explaining some simple elementary things and be patient enough to do that. Because if you move too fast to application, so you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend people are like what why not like you're like whoa man you gotta go yeah. way further you gotta back go way back like, <laughs> so i i hear a lot of guys that rush to application and you go there's some explanation that needs to happen I mean, you're a missionary you know yeah to an unreached people group kind of deal so there's that and then it's integrating it to the worldview you know a lot of young people they're inundated by the massive changes that have happened to the human brain since the last decade of the iPhone and are not even clear how it's affecting them yeah. in so many ways, their ability to focus, their ability to have human interaction. And so there's not an integrated worldview of, oh, I can go to church, but then do this on Friday and Saturday. And there's not even really shame around that, you know, or whatever, or guilt, or there's, there's such a fragmentation in philosophy that um, I found it really takes patience to help people say, do you understand this? Do you believe these are the words of God? Okay, now let's talk about how this applies to your life. And if anything, for me, it's just made the epistles all the more relevant because Paul does that all the time. Yeah. You know, he's like, you are dearly loved by God. He's changing your life. Here's the truth. 
let's talk about your sex life. That's almost every epistle. <laughs> you know? yeah, you're right. like, <laughs> and I mean, you're like, what, what, what? You know, yeah. but you're like, hey. Um, so, um, but that, yeah, those are the first things that come to mind. Yeah, we, yeah. we recently yeah. talked with Addison Bevere. I don't know if you know Addison, but he was telling us about his book, Saints, and he was talking about how Paul would call the Church of Corinth saints and then call him into correction. He's like, hey, you saints, let's fix this. And so yeah. it was that. Yeah. Stop sleeping with yeah. your, with stop, your stop having, yeah. Yeah. Stop getting stop drunk. Stop with everybody in the, in the village, yeah. you know. That was kind of yeah. how it went. Y'all are saints, but we got to fix this. And so yeah. there's an interesting, yeah. the, the patience um, required. And, and we actually, the biblical literacy thing, we just had a conversation over the weekend about, yeah. we were talking about a local pastor who does that really well. And they attract a lot of young adults and college students, but he does a really good job of backing the story up. And, and I've heard way too many pastors and preachers who make a lot of presumptions on things, you know, when you have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. He assumes you know no character. So if he tells you about Paul, he's going to say who Paul is or Stephen, he's going to say who Stephen is or whatever. Right. So, yeah. 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 I, I heard a guy say it once he was talking in the political sphere, but he was saying, when I get on a mic, he said, I assume my audience is intelligent, but uninformed. Yeah, mm, and I'm good. like, that's the, I was like, that's what ev- I wish every pastor knew. Don't talk down to people like they're dumb because they're intelligent. I, I tell people what I've encountered in DC is it's like a computer. The processing speed of people up here is the fastest I've ever encountered, but the files are not found. Yes. You know? Yeah. And it's really energizing, man. I'll do Bible studies, you know, in, a, in somebody's apartment, you know, we'll do these little journeys through the Bible and I'll sit there and you're like, you're with the FBI, you're with the state department, you're with, you know, like you do all this crazy stuff. But then I'm like, who's Paul? They're like, I, I got nothing. You're like, okay, all right. You know? And, uh, it's awesome. You go, what a great spot to be in. And, uh, if, if, um, you're easily offendable in that moment. You're going to have trouble. Um, so it takes a, a large degree of compassion. You know, that's what I would encourage ministers to. You know, Jesus said um, he looked at the crowd and he saw they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them. He had compassion. And so he taught them many things. He looked at this generation. He says, you're harassed. Like, no, they won't leave you alone. It's constant yeah. disturbance. And you're helpless. You don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And rather than getting annoyed, he feels compassion. And I try to spend as much time as I spend studying the word of God, studying the culture and studying young people. And when I see what, what the onset of all this technology has done to their ability to interact socially and the devastation yeah. it's caused, I want to feel compassion for them, not frustration yeah. with them. And then let that compassion fuel my teaching. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think what you're saying is echoing so much of, of, of the Barna research. It just came out on Gen Z, especially, but um, mm. I think, I think, you know, what they say is uh, there are a large number of Gen Z young adults, some millennials that definitely believe in the word of God that definitely believe in Christ. They just don't know why, <laughs> right? They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're not unintelligent. They're just uninformed. And I think those metrics are duplicated over and over again which I think if we're really going to have a healthy conversation about local church slash getting young adults engaged, then it's, I think it's required of us as leaders to own sort of the change that we need to make in order to help accommodate that gap. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? 
I, yeah. I, I feel like that's part of part of my role here is to not stoop down or to, like you said, talk to them ignorantly as if they are ignorant, but to create pathways for them to engage in such a ways that they can learn and I can pull them on the journey with me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think it's um, one of the best gifts of a minister's curiosity about people, you know, as much as you're a student of the word of God, be a student of your people and uh, ask questions and ask what they think. And, you know, it's like a good doctor. The more he asks you questions, the more he can diagnose your specific ailment, you know, and Francis Schaefer used to say that he said, if you give me an hour with somebody, I'll spend 55 minutes asking them questions. And then I'll spend the last five applying the gospel to their specific point of need. And you're like, that's it, man. Like, and, and you can do that online, Googling this generation. And there's a lot of help to get context for that. But I, I think for a lot of us in ministry too, it's just really knowing our people really well, who's sitting in yeah. my crowd and talk to me and let me see the normal regular faces, but let me push past them to that person that I always kind of see back there. And, and can I hear what they get? Can they believe that I want to hear what they think? Right, wrong, well-articulated, not well-articulated. And then when I'm standing in front of them to deliver a message, they're in my mind. They're mm-hmm. who I'm talking to as I explain this. And the better we know our people, the better we'll apply um, what we have to their soul. You know? Yeah. Ben, I think one of the unique things you guys have done at Passion City, and we, we hit it on it earlier in the show, is that um, passion is a multi-site model of sorts. Um, but you're the primary communicator there in DC. And I remember we were at passion with the door holder and I love that name door holder, the door holder. Yeah. That we were showing us around a passion and we were talking about the, the growth of what the, what was the expected growth of passion city as a church in 2020, obviously everybody's plans have been shifted and we were, we were, and I was asking the question cause I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd in the multi-site thing too. I said, so does Louis is Louis video into DC? And they're like, Oh no, no that would never work there. So what, what was, and maybe just the wisdom of Louie or yourself, how did you guys come to that realization of going, Hey, what hat, what works in Atlanta won't work in DC. Cause a lot of models, the, the primary communicator around the globe is, is piped in through video. You guys went against that grain. What, what took you that down that road? Yeah. And, you know, I don't I'd have to think about could it have worked, you know, I think you see with a lot of multi-sites, they tend to hit a lid on how fast they can grow or how big they can grow. Um, I think with Louie and I, the discussions were, you know, when we first came on, I said, man, I'm not really a multi-site pastor, just personally. And that's not a knock on those guys. You know, I, I, I tend to summarize it, and this is a very crude summary, but if you do what we do, you're part preacher, teacher, you're part uh, leader, visionary, and then you're part pastor. You know, so there's that part of you that loves to explain the word, thus saith the Lord. There's right. that part of you that needs to cast vision. We're going there. And that part of you that sits and holds people's hands and cries yeah. and mm-hmm. cares about them. But you, no one's 100% at all three. You always have one that's higher than the other. One, You know, yeah. like everyone's built different. And a multi-site pastor tends to be the really pastoral person. Like I sat with a guy the other day that you're like, we went to a restaurant. He's the, a multi-site pastor in his town. He knew every single person in the restaurant by name and had been to all their houses. I'm like, how do you do that, man? Like I, I like people, but not that much. Like I'm not <laughs> wired that way. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm more teacher first. 
pastor's probably third for me. He's just like, man, the thought of preaching every week makes me sad inside, but getting to love people. So, you know, the multi-site works really well if you've got that pastoral leader guy. And so you see the multi-site model built with that, that, that big teaching voice and then a lot of pastoral mm-hmm. right. And There's nothing wrong with that. So in Atlanta, there's multiple locations right. that all pipe in. Louis is the teacher and visionary. But as we were looking at the longevity of passion, going to build it on, on just Louis' teaching gift, as amazing as it is, isn't probably the best long-term strategy. So can we move into different cities and have a city model where those cities have a, a teacher leader up front who can now build locations, multi-sites around that region? And could we duplicate that throughout the world? And that's the goal. That's the hope for us. Yeah. Is um, to build a model that doesn't suddenly get in real jeopardy when when uh, Louis's gone, you know? And so, um, which Lord willing won't be anytime soon, but you know, that, that's the idea is can we, right. can we take what's beautiful about the culture of passion, separate it, you know, the leader is always gonna be the culture carrier, but can we separate out, but what is essentially passion? Can we duplicate that in other cities? So we called what we did the grand experiment and it's, it was the grace of God. You know, my wife and I, we flew around for six months to different cities, praying over where to move. Louis was really like, you got to live there. You decide, yeah. but we want him, we want him to be hinge cities, culture shaping cities. Mm-hmm. And DC snuck up on us. I mean, we were surprised how drawn we were to it. And we landed here, launched. And I remember about six months, a year in Louis came up to preach and, that was the first time I looked over at him and looked at it and went, man, there's a lot of ways this could have gone wrong. Like there was a million <laughs> ways we could have fallen off this horse. And we both just looked at each other like it worked. And um, I think the secret to it working, you didn't ask this question, but the, the was, um, was trust. Do I trust him? And does he trust me? And mm-hmm. so far that seems to be working pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there's so many facets to the multi-site conversation uh, yeah. that may, maybe we need to sit down and have lunch in D.C. about or something. <laughs> but, but I mean, I think, I think if, you, if you go back to your comment about intimacy, right, and you go back to the comment about impact, impact is the action piece, right? Integrating people into the body, getting them activated to serve, serve the church, how, whatever your language is, you know, that's, yeah. that's the plan. But the intimacy piece where I think the, the, um, the multi-site comes in is it becomes very cultural specific, right? At least it's supposed to be. Uh, there are a few people like a Rick Warren or like a Louis Giglio or a Craig Rochelle who can communicate very well across cultures, right? But there are a lot of very successful multi-site paradigms out there that follow from, you can follow. And some of them are very centralized, meaning there's one guy sort of preaching and doing all the work, you know, that's the head personality. Then there's some that are very decentralized, where the local pastors are that they are simply the DNA carriers, the value bearers of that particular church structure organization, right? And they, they deliver. So whatever the model is, one thing that it seems to be very true about multi-sites is almost all of them are working, right? In some capacity. (laughs) I mean, there's very few multi-site models that are disasters, few here and there, but most of them are working well. But I think it comes back to this conversation of intimacy, 
because anytime that you can make the gospel personal and intimate, right, that, that translates in such a way as uh, it becomes irresistible. And then when you have a broader value vision, that's more global, that, that reaches more people, that's something they can be a part of, that's the impact, right? So I think the multi-site lends itself very well to those two realities. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so attractive and it's working so well currently. But that's yeah. my little, uh, I go on all day about multi-site. So yeah, it's great. <laughs> no, it's insightful. You know, and it minimizes a lot of the frictions that can really cause, yeah. you know, most it's not glamorous to say it this way, but most church plants fail because of a lack of capital. It's the same reason why most startup businesses fail. And you go, man, that's a, that's a sad thing. And so if you can minimize that friction. Right. And uh, that's a good thing. It's the crude, it's the little bit of the crude language of franchising, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't like to intermingle the, yeah. the businessy terms a lot between, between the, the church and the living body of Christ right? And, yeah. and business models. But I think the, the level at which you're able to quote franchise your brand, your values, your, uh, your DNA, all of those kinds of things, I think that provides a high level of success. And I think all truth is God's truth. And if we can borrow from the language of other mm-hmm. model systems, cultures, whatever, and apply it to, to how we deliver the gospel, and if it's effective, if it works, I'm okay with that. You know, and some, some people, I don't know, I'm sure you've probably gotten some pushback. You know, some people think multi-sites or mega churches are just number generating operations and uh, having been a part of one and, and you are too, we know that that's definitely not the case. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, and you know, it's like what Paul said, uh, my letter of recommendation is you guys. So at the yeah. end of the day you go, well, you can critique a model and no models perfect. And, Right, but when you look up and say, "Hey, but my friend is a substantively better human being after being in your orbit," you're going to show up and say, "What did y'all do to her? What happened to him? Yeah. Like, ha- what's happening there?" And that's on us. Can we create and foster healthy environments where people grow? And if we can, then a lot of those criticisms will fall, and and people will walk with Jesus. Yeah. You know? Right. So let's shift gears a little bit since you're talking about um, growing. Um, one of the big conversations that Jeff and I have on the show a lot, of, a lot with other leaders is, is the mentoring conversation. Some of them are, are conversations about people who have mentored them. Other conversations are about how they're being, uh, how they're mentoring others. Um, obviously, you know, you and Louis have had a long standing relationship. Um, so I guess the next question would be, uh, how has he mentored you and how are you in turn, uh, taking that mentoring and pouring it into others that you're influencing now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for me, I found what I'm sure you guys have as well. And that is, um, I think when I was in my twenties, I kept thinking there was going to be like a mentor you know, in my life. And I feel like it doesn't really work that way. Like God brings a ring of counselors that in typically different ones you find are helpful in different avenues. And so when I was a youth pastor starting out, I met with a dozen youth pastors. And at the end of it, there was about three I would call. And over time go, that one I call when it's this kind of issue. That one I call when it's that kind of issue. Mm -hmm. That's held true all through my life. And even now I'm grateful that I've got 
a handful of counselors that I call for various reasons. So one of my old pastors and I were on the phone the other day, um, you know, and it's just a normal thing for me to call a different one. Louis's unique contribution to me is um, his supreme faith that anything is possible with the Lord. I mean, he just is not afraid to dream really big. Yeah. And he always challenges me to dream bigger than what I'm dreaming. And his creativity is marvelous to watch from, from up close. So those are, I would say, you know, looking at different people, those are things that I've just watched in him that you're like, those are, those are marvelous. You're unique in those areas. And anytime I can get a window into how his mind works and it's been fun. You know, we, when I lived in Atlanta for a season prepping to launch, we would write series together and it was fun to see how we approach a text and articulate it and build a sermon we build them very differently and i loved writing with him because it was just fun that our our approaches actually complemented each other really well and continue to but it was just fun it's really fun yeah. to watch that happen mm -hmm. so ben how have you taken the things been invested in you a good friend of ours here on campus says um freely you received freely give he quotes jesus in this area of mentorship how have you been able to give that away then to other leaders or young leaders in your care yeah i would say you know you look at the life of jesus with his guys proximity was the priority you know and i used to teach that to young guys all the time take them to mark chapter three I said hey what was the call of an apostle you know and it says and he called them they would be with him and um, preach and cast out demons. And they would always say, preach and cast out demons. I'm like, no, what's the call of an apostle? What's the first calling? They're like, preach and cast out demons. And if you keep missing the first verb, which was be with him, just be near him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so for Louie and I, it was, before I launched, it was coffee together every week. It was traveling together to do things. It's in that proximity of shoulder to shoulder, you rub off right. on one another. And so now up here, when I hired a staff, I'm like, man, I'm always going to have one of these guys with me and explaining what I do and why I do it. And then when we develop team leaders, you know, we have our team leader meetings where we talk, here's our strategy to accomplish our goals, to reach who we are as an organization. So we have these team leader meetings. But that same group, I separated out a different meeting that's not the leader leader part. It's the the word of God in your soul, I teach you the Bible. So, because I, I want you to think like I think, um, I want you to approach the word of God the way I, I approach it. And so to me, I tell our team all the time, we are the white hot center of the fire. And if there's a lot of truth spoken in our world and a lot of love in our world, it's going to radiate out. So we spend a lot of time with our team leads doing that. So even last night, we were on a Zoom call with them for hours. And it's funny because, you know, at the beginning, they were pretty stale meetings. But now, the first 20 minutes was them sharing Jesus stories of how God is moving and encouraging each other's faith. And after a while, I'm like, okay, we got to move on, you know, but uh, do uh, other stuff. Yeah. But, uh, it's that proximity is the priority. You just can't beat that. Yeah. And um, if they know I care about them, then they don't feel used when I put them to work. And we make our leaders work really hard. And if I'm depositing truth in their life, they feel like that exchange of deposit and withdrawal is there. So if I, if I can give them those two things, grace and truth, I mean, this team 
there's nothing they don't even know what they're not capable of i mean they will charge any hill it's really amazing that's cool that's cool so here's a, another kind of mentoring question another concept that we've been talking a lot about on the show is reverse mentoring that's when you know uh obviously someone younger than you that maybe doesn't have as much experience is pouring into your life so uh, is there a person or a situation or a lesson maybe that you can think of right off the top of your head where a, uh, a younger person is saying, Hey, how about this? And you're like, my goodness, I've never thought about that before. I mean, so how is, is, is there anyone reverse mentoring you right now? Or has there been a lesson you've learned? Well, it's like a significant percentage of my church. I mean, yeah, I'm like, right. so old. Softball I'm, not old, I'm not old man, but I'm the old guy up here. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, so it's been fun. It's so energizing to be around the young people in our world. And, yeah. you know, you, you take the thoughts, suggestions of everybody. Anyone can come up to me and tell me what they think. But I, I'm not going to internalize the guy that walks by. Like, your church should have a snack bar. Like, All right, man. Thanks, dude. You know, but like, <laughs> I, I, I want to have um, the ones around me. Yeah, good leaders ask good questions. You know, leaders are inquisitive and creative. Why? What, what do you do and why do you do it? That's the thing. Not just the what, but the why. What's the why behind the what? What can I get away from that? And when I sit with somebody, I try to do that. When I mentioned earlier, that Francis Schaeffer thing, like when I sit with our young worship leader, uh, anytime I travel and speak somewhere, one of my young leaders is with me. I want to be asking him more questions than he's asking me. That's cool. Uh, and not just the what questions, but the whys, you know, and because his generation is what I'm reaching and I want to be a student of that generation. Yeah. And certainly we've, we've created, tried to create a high trust level with our leaders of let's give you the vision and the values. But when it comes to execution of strategy, we want you to be creative and give them the room to do that. And it's fun to watch them surprise us with how they solve problems, you know, tell them the problem to solve, not the way to solve it. And they'll surprise you with their ingenuity. And so we kind of like to see how that happens, you know, it's cool. So do you give your, your young leaders a wide berth on that, on the execution? Yeah. And, and, you know, they'll have staff members and we don't have a very big staff, but they have staff members that oversee team leads and team leads execute leading builders. And so, you know, for us, they're all high caliber, fast moving people. So, you know, we rent a, a, a theater, it's a club in town, you mm. know, when we show up, I mean, our first Sunday, the concert the night before started at 11 and it was the St. Patrick's day smokeout, you know, and, uh, the lead band, their hit song was doobie ashtray. So when we showed up, man, like that place was, like they had had a rager. There were still people asleep on the stage, you know? <laughs> so we were like, Hey man, you don't have to leave, but you got to scooch. Like we're trying to set up for church, you know, like uh, moving people around, but watching this young team, like, Hey, we're going to design this space to make it welcoming. We chose this place because it's in the middle of the city. It's in the most ethnically diverse part of the city. It's a low barrier to entry. You may not walk into a big church, but you're walking to this club, but y'all got to make this look great. And I don't actually know what I mean when I say look great and you know, been suddenly we've got, <laughs> I feel you know, we've got people the that, yeah. they do this for a living, you know, in their business. And you're like, all right, man, then show me. And then you got the other ones that create data and spreadsheets and tracking info. And you're like, all right, man, we'll then start building that for all of us. We regularly have leader meetings where it's like, Hey, let's share best practices. What are you doing? that's working. 
and let's try to let every team improve. So it's fun to, to see how they surprise us. And we've been able to grow, I think, pretty fast because of that, because we got high trust with, with a small group and the right group and off we go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's wow. Lots of insight from Ben Stewart. I think the, the proximity is priority. Well, I'll probably steal and say a lot lately. So yeah, <laughs> I'll quit giving you credit probably for the third time. Claim it as my own. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know who you stole it, it all from. The time but, here. Uh, <laughs> if I ever end up at DC, I'll give you credit. Make sure people know theirs. Oh, but I'm sure. around here, it's mine now. Ben, there's been incredible wisdom from that you've dropped on us from discipleship, from leadership to church planting, church principles. Um, we just appreciate it so much. And, and I know that in our, and I know hope our listeners have taken notes. There are a lot of things you said in a sentence or two that have a lot of weight to them. Mm-hmm. We could probably take three mm-hmm. more hours and talk about some of the things you said. And, and unfortunately mm-hmm. we don't have three more hours, so we're all pretty busy, but we have one final question that we do want to ask that we do ask every guest um, and you have the floor on how you answer it. Um, What is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Man, just one, huh? Um, (laughs) Again, we got time. I'll keep it. Yeah. I would say um, that, honesty is the doorway to intimacy that's maybe what i would say like Mm -hmm. in college i had my crisis of faith freshman year of just going i don't know if i believe all this i don't know my mom said it was true and god bless her she could be wrong but i i decided until someone proves god's not real i'll assume he is but i'm not going to play the game and I'm not, I'm not going to sing a song to him. I don't mean I'm going to be honest, not disrespectful, but honest. And I went on a real, just, I would read the Bible and then just write out in a journal. Like you sound mean here. Frankly, you sound petty. I don't really get that. Amen. Time's up. You didn't go to class. And you know, the more I was honest with God, I think he loved it because you can't be real you can't have a real relationship with someone who's not real with you. I mean, we all know that. Like if someone's, you're like, I'm always yeah. feeling like I'm getting like some fake version of them. Then there's no intimacy there. And, right. and college is when I quit playing the game and got real with God and risked how ugly the realness was in me. I didn't realize how angry I was, how hurt I was. Um, and yet, it created a pathway that by the middle of college for the first time in my life, I could say it. I love him. I love God. For some reason, I always thought that sounded like weak or something when I was younger, but I was like, I fell in love with him in college. And it's because I was willing to risk the ugliness of honesty with him. And uh, I would just encourage any young person listening to this or not even young, but any person to do that. And, you know, you can, say i just want to be authentic like that's the goal it's not the goal it's the starting place right but you can't move to intimacy without authenticity first okay let's and uh you know you see david do it in the psalms he starts angry hurt scared afraid and tracks towards trust and worship and that was my college experience man it really was that's cool that's awesome that's cool We, we have enjoyed having you on the show so much and uh 
Thanks. Looking forward to staying connected with you guys, and uh, we certainly will probably in some capacity. But um, how can people stay in touch with you? How can we find you on social media, et cetera? Yeah, you know, Passion City Church DC, we're out there, YouTube and socials, and Ben Stewart, I'm out there. Insta- Instagram is where we do most of it right now. You know, anyway, but uh, we're all out there, and Very it's cool. good to hang with you guys too. Y'all, y'all yeah. hang with good people. Luke Lazon's a good dude. And, Passion, glad y'all were with us. And yeah, it was a blast. Fun. We had a good time. It was awesome. Yeah. Man, well, we appreciate you so much. And as we always say here on the show, you always got a seat at the table. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it, fellas. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.